I'm Linda Hazeman, I'm a costume designer and welcome to the Craft of Costume Cymru Awards, the sessions. A virtual series to celebrate some of the nominees and nominated programmes from this year's BAFTA Cymru Awards. Before we start, we have some housekeeping. These virtual events are part of BAFTA's learning work to share expertise from TV, film, games with audiences far and wide. If you'd like more information, please check out BAFTA.org and BAFTA's social channels for more activity and news. For all of you joining us live, there will be time at the end for you to ask any questions of our nominees. So please send them in via the Q&A function on Zoom. And finally, please welcome our nominees for Best Costume. Joining us today, we have Caroline McCall. Say hello to you for his dark materials. Hello. Hi, Caroline. Hi. We also have Ray Holman for his designs for Fleabag. Hi, Ray. Hello. Hi there. Hi. And we also have Sean Jenkins for her designs for Eternal Beauty. Hi, Sean. Hello. Okay, so I'm going to start with Caroline, if I could ask you a question, if I might. Um, now, you've been nominated for His Dark Materials, which, of course, is a huge project. And it's not the first time that we have seen a, a book of Philip Pullman's trilogy being adapted for the screen. In 2007, there was a feature from The Golden Compass. Now, how, for you, how did you um, approach designing the story that's already been adapted? How do you, I mean, it's already been adapted for the screen and you come fresh to do it um, for television. And how did you approach designing it? Because it's already been adapted. So what was challenging for you that in a way that maybe you've not come across before on a show that you've done the same way? I think the approach from the entire production was to go back to the books. And because obviously, um, to the, it, the book, to tell that book in a in an hour and a half, two hours as a film, isn't really difficult. Whereas we had the luxury of eight hours to um, to tell our story, to tell the story, and um, we went back to the books. And um, well, initially when I interviewed for the job, um, I put all my ideas together and my thoughts. That, cut, that when reading the book and when I went to Bad Wolf first I met Joe Collins and he showed me the ideas for the sets. It was like we were, we were on the same page basically. We saw, we both saw this world in um, the early 20th century and sort of pre-1960s technology. So that was, that was great to collaborate, to create um, a, co a cohesive world. But, um, and that's what's really tricky about um, fantasy that I'd not, I'd, I'd not done before. And that you, you know, if you're doing a historical drama or a contemporary drama, um, you have boundaries, you know the rules, you know the socioeconomic circumstances of your characters and the world in which they live. And, and for his dark materials, I had to create those rules and I had to create rules that worked um, that worked within the world that we were creating that then I could convey to my team 
and um, to say that this, um, you know, the Egyptians have knitwear and um, their clothing is appropriate for yeah. the boats, say, and all the rules, all the rules that we created within their world and for each different yeah. dynamic within historic materials. I mean, I mean, the world through that Paul Wood creates is, you could say is kind of quite 1930s-esque Britain, um, but it's obviously set in an alternate universe. So the show feels like, as you were saying, the 20th century, but it's different from our 20th century. So could you sort of talk about some of the ways that you, um, you created that feeling in the design? I mean, I'm thinking particularly of the, of the sort of priest and the magisterium and, and the way I was quite interested to see the way that, that you've done the collars for them to, to, to denote sort of a, almost like a religious order, but it wasn't anything that, that we could latch onto for our, our world, you know? Well, I wanted it to feel, I wanted the world, I wanted Lyra's world to feel recognisable, but not have any, uh, not have anything specific to particular decades. So say 1950s, big skirts. Um, I, I wanted it to, um, I, I, it came from, a lot of it came from the writing about women in Lara's world and that, um, you know, women dressed a certain way. And I, and so that I felt that everybody was kind of a buttoned up society in Lara's world. So I wanted that in the menswear as well. And so I looked at the collars, um, collar um, detached collars that we have in the teens and twenties. Um, and uh, so where women are, where women were constrained in their, what their clothing, I wanted that conveyed in the men as well. So um, wearing wearing starched collars and being terribly buttoned up. And so then that fed into the magisterium as well. I didn't want to do clerical collars, um, but I felt but the use of the starched collar and a really high collar and then creating this magisterium pin was a way to do something a bit different. Mm. Were there any challenges in this production that you hadn't faced before? particularly? I think the sheer number of repeats of costumes because Daphne, I think Daphne was 13 when we started production so she has to have a double and then she has a stunt double and then um, her looks are worn for a certain period of time so there were a number of outfits that needed we needed 10 repeats of and different stages of breakdown and sort of managing managing that the workload for the um the workroom and the dye room and um sometimes it limits your possibilities because you know that you're going to have you're going to need certain quantities of fabrics mm. to create those repeats and nothing is a one-off um so that was that was challenging yeah okay thank you right that's one to you um, you're nominated for the second series of Fleabag. Now, many costume designers say that it's harder doing a contemporary show than something period. Is this something that, you'd, um, that you find to be the case or um, not? It, I think it's the same. It's, it's just that everybody, yeah, people think that period is harder, but in a way, contemporary clothing is very subjective. So everybody will have a different opinion 
on what's right and what's wrong for a contemporary character. Um, and everybody has different experiences in life. So you, so when you're doing a contemporary show, um, everybody brings all those different experiences to the table. And visually, you have to kind of accommodate all the, all, all, all those experiences into the character. Um, so it can be, it can be tricky. Um, um, and I think psychologically, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, a lot of designers say that, don't they? That in, in one sense, period, it's their realm. And yet, because we all wear clothes, modern day time, every, every, everybody's an expert when it comes to contemporary piece, you know? Everybody is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Phoebe Wallabridge is not only the star of Fleabags, but she's also its creator. So tell us about how you work with her and, and um, to actually realise the characters that she wrote. Yeah, um, originally I worked with Phoebe on Broadchurch and at that, at that time she was writing Fleabag. Um, and when we, when we were doing Broadchurch, we, she was um, talking to me a little bit about it. And basically it's such a, it's, it's Phoebe's creation. And so what, what we, we were quite a, we kind of work very kind of sympathetically with each other. So if I needed to ask Phoebe what she meant, um, we would both kind of get the same ideas. So um, for example, there are, there are lots of things that didn't make, make it onto camera. And one of the background things with Fleabag was, which used to make me laugh so much, was occasionally, you know, I, I, I bought her berets and stripy tops and Phoebe would be in a fitting and kind of put the beret on the stripy top on and go, ooh, too French? Like she looks at the camera in, and so we have that kind of um, very easy relationship, which means that um, as we went along with, with Fleabag and as things, Phoebe's always writing and improving. Um, and so I was always there in the background to accommodate any changes, script changes or, or changes in ideas for the looks for not only her, but, but it was quite a, quite a big cast as well for a, for a comedy because essentially Fleabag is a six part BBC three stroke Amazon comedy. And, um, so for that, there was there were lots of costumes and lots of characters. Yeah, it's obviously been a hugely popular show. Did you feel extra pressure because of that, and expectation on your shoulders more than normal? No, I I I mean I love working with actors, and it's a it's I mean, and I love working with Phoebe, and we we're kind of on the same page, even when she gets in the car and she's ready to go down to set, and she gets to set, and they're rehearsal scene and she changes something for not maybe not maybe herself or Fleabag but for another character you know suddenly you get a phone call saying we've just thought of this um and it's fine <laughs> well I just had to be prepared and kind of yeah. double guess yeah, uh, right. but, but, have you, got, right. you know have you got this or have you got that was it because um because we would have a catch up every morning on what I needed to do during the day for the next day, what she needed 
what she was wearing for that day. And because all six episodes were different themed episodes, um, we were jumping between them all the time on a very quick schedule. So I wasn't, I was always on the go on Fleabag, whether it was shopping, making things, changing ideas, um, but it was always a pleasure. It was, it was a really fantastic experience. It's great that you got on so well because when someone's got a really, it sounds like she's got a very agile mind, you know, and you had to, you've got to be able so to. Clever. Yeah, very, very clever. And, and, and what Phoebe does is she, she, she loves her fellow performers and the crew um, and is absolutely charming. So you will do anything for her. Yeah, well, that's lovely. It's lovely to have that, that rapport on set with somebody that, you know, you've got to answer to, basically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was never a problem. It was, yeah. it was a pleasure more than a problem. Oh, well, that's lovely. So, Sean, if we turn to you, um, now you're nominated for the film Eternal Beauty, which follows a woman with mental health issues as she navigates family and love. Um, now, there's a very strong and deliberate use of colour throughout the film. How did the idea come about um, and did it make designing it easier or harder for you? Um, I think basically the idea came about from Craig, our director. He, he loves, he loved Punch, Drunk, Love and also he showed us Three Colours Blue that as his inspiration. Um, and he really liked that in Punch, Drunk, Love the plot is like a colour plot between the characters. So they'll, one will take on the red and the other will take on the blue between them. So we use that as an inspiration to our, our story. Um, and we really wanted all of our characters, there was two different colour plots. There was a colour plot of her when she's on the medication, when she's off the medication. So when she was off the medication, she would be um, she would be very blue and when she's on the medication she would be, be creams so it was almost like the cream was when she was on the medication as soon as she started to come off the medication she would go like a baby blue and then the most electric blue was when she wasn't on medication at all so we decided that that was the medication side and then there was also a colour plot between the characters taking on the other characters when they interacted with each other um, so I think in terms of whether it was easier or harder I mean it was it was easier to kind of go, well, when she's on medication, it'll be this, and when she's off, it'll be that. But it was actually plotting it into the script and, and the right tone of what, what her mental state was, was without it being, um, I suppose you don't want it to ever feel that it's taking over the story because it's a very delicate subject, what, what we were dealing with. So it had to kind of almost help with tell our story rather than you didn't want it to distract, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Because I was going to say, you know, your protagonist is called Jane and she has, yeah. and you do tell an interesting story through her costumes, which is, um, she's great. But it's not just her, but there are colour plots also for other characters, isn't there, in the family? Yes, yeah. Tell us a bit more about how that came around and who chose the colours? Was it you, the director? Myself and Craig, I mean, we've worked together before, so I did his first film, so this was our second time of working together. So we sat down, like, one of our first meetings was he came with an idea, I really want the family, the sisters, to be different colours. That was a very, he came with that idea. Um, and I was like, okay, great. So then we, in, we started looking into what colours they would be and which sister would take on which colour. And then it was also part of the production design. So we all sat around a table as a creative team, really. It was like myself... Um, Craig, 
production designer and also DOP and we had a page turn and went through all the color plots because it also in it was also part of the production design as well so in, in terms of yeah the color the colors would go into that and making sure that the colors that we used within the wardrobe wasn't going to sort of would work with the production design so it was all sort of yeah, the colour side of it was very important, but it was a sort of team decision. It, what Me and Craig came up with the colours, but then also it was a very creative sort of team that decided if it was going to work for the whole film and making sure, again, that it wasn't going to distract from what we were trying to say with the story, because it's a very, that is a true story. You don't ever want, to, when you're telling a true story, for your design to to take that over. And it's it's kind of, yeah, for me, it's quite... It's a, it's a balance to do that. Yes. And it seemed that you weren't sort of tied into a specific period. I mean, there's obviously a flashback when... No, no, we didn't. It was, it sort of starts in the 60s, but, and then we ended in the night, but we were very loose with the period. And what we weren't saying, it's got to be periodically correct. I mean, that people say timeless and things like that, but it was, it, we ba loosely based it on periods that would, that were worked with her age rather than saying that's got to be 60s, that's got to be 70s, that's got to be 80s, that's going to be 90s. It was very loose. So then creatively, you've got quite a lot of freedom then as well, because you're not having to say it has to be or it has to be this. So you can kind of make it slightly timeless, but it still needed to feel like a real period of some sort. So, um, but yeah, so it was kind of, it, from a creative point of view and a costume design point of view, it was lovely because you could do what you wanted really, as long as it felt right for the character. Yes, and how did you sort your stuff? Was a lot of stuff hired, or did it make? Or it was um, hired. We, we we made some things. We put, hired some things. We sort we bought things. It was a bit of bit of everything, really. So, depending on like everybody, you do what you need to do for you know the job. We were very tight budget, so we couldn't. You know, it was obviously having to be. We found something that we could buy. You know, we could make a repeat of it or things like that. So it was kind of a lot of it was sourced and hired though and then elements bought and then certain specific things were made like the blue dress and things we had to make that because it was a copy of the wedding dress that she wears as well so um so it was kind of like when she does the beauty pageant it was a copy of the dress she was supposed to wear to get married so in the 50s so we sort of you know just copied the pattern really right. um i'm going to throw a question to all of you which you 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 know do feel free to, to jump in um and the fact is this, that, you know, this job isn't about just producing costume designs. It's also about the logistical challenge of how we get dressed actors out onto set every day. So as a general question to you all, tell me a bit about the role you've, you know, your costume teams play. Who's going We're designers and we, yeah. you know, with, the, well, with the head if you like but we've got a whole team behind us and sometimes yeah. it's a small team sometimes it's a really big team um and i i always feel they're the unsung heroes really of what we do you know and um and i suppose if 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 people that don't do our job we, we're not always sure what somebody does do and how it you know what the demarcations are whether the crossovers are and etc etc so um what do you feel about your teams is what I want to say basically and how do you you see them? I think we all love our teams we yeah. wouldn't be here without our teams <laughs> but it I mean the um the, these three nominations are quite a good example of three very different kinds of productions and so 
um, you know, my my little team on Fleabag was three of us and a trainee, and we all worked really hard, and I love them, and we just had a, the best time, and we were all very creative, um, and I'm sure I and I couldn't have done it without them. Right. Yeah. And what about you, Sean? Are you you're saying that you're, you're saying you're low budget, so is your team small too? Yes, yeah. So it's me, myself, my supervisor, I work with all the time. Um, and then we had one standby junior who went on to set as well, and then a trainee. And then we had, um, and then dailies for when we had background in. But yeah, it was, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was small. And also it was, we didn't, it was low budget. So we had to kind of like, you know, it, was, it wasn't like a, a big, rate team either so it was sort of like getting juniors and trainees and but hope but making sure they were always on set with people so they knew what they were doing you know it was very much um a lot of people and a lot of yeah it, it was a good team i mean like great i love my team i wouldn't be able to do it without my team ever i think for all of us i i i think for all of us we we're very close to our teams and our teams know us very well and they know what we want creatively yeah. Um, that's why we choose and we love our teams because okay. um, and we nurture them and we try and explain everything we can to help the production I'm sure yeah Caroline. well it's interesting because any one of you could do you know a low budget for one show with a quite a small team and then or you could go on to a really big bigger production like Caroline you would have had a different experience of, of the level yes. of that you had at the head and then you've got all the, you know the the levels coming down so maybe you know just fill us in for people that don't know what how big a team it was to create what you did for the stock materials well i'm really really fortunate that i have a brilliant team of many and varied talents and skills and um that's headed up by our supervisor dulcie and you know we knew when we started this job that a big part of it would be having to make have a workroom and make the costumes and so part of that part of the job to begin with is um is the logistics is setting up that space so at bad wolf she had to go in and create a workroom a crowd space um a dye room get dye room facilities up and running um i have um i have a, had a buyer in london who was sourcing all the um, all the fabrics um, to create the costumes. Um, there's a coordinator to help um, to help with the budget on our big team. And I had a, a work um, cutter, workroom, dye room, um, and uh, the crowd team, and then the standby team that uh, manage the day to day um, running of um, running dressing the dressing the actors, looking after the actors on set. So, um, you know, I'm just so, so fortunate to have been in that position and so fortunate to have the facilities that, um, that we were able to um, create yeah. at Bad Wolf. Um, and, you know, before I came into the industry, I didn't know that all those, I didn't know that all those jobs existed, but, yeah. At times, I had uh, at times I had an embroiderer um, or somebody doing leather work. Yeah. Um, you know things that people don't necessarily think about. Uh, but 
or, or a career or a, or a viable career. Yeah, and, and as a designer, you've got to be across all that, haven't you? You know, and sometimes there's just not enough um, hours in the day to be across yeah. it all. That's why you've got to have really strong people that know what they're doing under, you know, yeah. those departments. Because I think all, all of us want to be on set and see our work on onto set and make sure it is how we want it to be. Um, but, you know, doesn't it, always a lot of times you just rushed off your feet but whatever the budget is so to have people yeah. that you really trust and we you become a family because and um you know i just want to say uh, they were brilliant absolutely brilliant and i couldn't do it without them and i miss them terribly yeah awesome. some sometimes um Sean kind of mentioned it, but sometimes dailies save us as well because yes, we have yes. you know, yeah. dailies come in and save the day because you need extra people. And some people like being dailies because you know they they have different circumstances in life. Um, and they they were on Fleabag. They were brilliant as well. Yeah, it's that's it. We are we are so dependent on our teams and stuff. And um, a costume isn't, as we know, the only creative department working on a film or a show. Um, you know, we work with production design, makeup and special effects, to name a few. So how did you guys collaborate with those departments? Just give someone a briefing or an example of how it, on the, your shows you may have had more of a collaboration with different departments. We all have regular meetings with with um, not only the writers and the producers, but with the production designer, with the makeup designer, with um, and we all with locations. Um, so that's an ongoing thing, really, in terms of design and, and in terms of information. I mean, Sean mentioned it earlier on, but but we all. I mean, I think every production has those. Right, it, it might be at 7.30 at night, it might be go on for five hours during the day, but um, we all have those creative meetings. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think one of the departments for us that's really um, important is makeup, isn't it? Because what we do affects them and what they do affects us so much. Um, so I suppose, you know, even if it's someone looking distressed or like on, on your show, Sean, you know, Jane and her state of being, is going to be reflected in not just what, how you dress her and how she wears her costume, but what's going on up here with her hair and, and yeah. her makeup, isn't it, as well? Yeah, so I'll normally, with makeup, I'll, um, like we'll obviously have done our fittings and I'll discuss with makeup and go through the sort of the plot of, you know, the script and be like, I feel she's like this then and feel she's like this then. And also sometimes fittings happen the day before, and especially when you're on a very tight schedule, you don't have time to, fit somewhere out and weeks before you know it's the day before and so you have to just um keep the communication really and i normally would pop and see makeup every morning if i can or depending on calls or at the end of the day if there's something but just make sure that they know exactly what's going on or if there's any changes or if i've had a conversation with craig and he hasn't had a chance to relay it also or i've spoken to sally about something or to the artist so i think it's communication and just and, and visuals as well as many visuals as you can you know, share with makeup, I find that really helps as well. I'll always discuss everything with them. Um, and then 
yeah I think that's the thing is communication and just keeping keep keep talking I think especially when you are working up well we all work against schedules that are changing and chopping and all the rest of it all the time so I think it's just making sure that yeah you just keep talking to everybody especially from a creative point of view and that doesn't stop well Caroline in your show um I mean, the production design has some big set pieces. And I suppose for you, individuals walking into a really big space with certain colours and things going on, maybe there was, you must have had times where you, you, you went to the production designer and was saying, okay, what's the colours for this? Or was there more sort of um, collaboration with them for these dark materials than you might normally get on a show? Would you? Well, I suppose similar. It's similar on it. On it. It's always quite a close working relationship, I think, with production design. Um, you know, with where they're going on location and, all, and um, sets and various things. But um, yes, because, because there was a lot of um, preliminary work done by the art department, it was really helpful because they're, you know, places like Trollesund or Bolvanger, you know, they, um, the look and feel of those places. And we worked out quite early on um, with Joel about the sort of colours, the colours that, that I would use and the sorts of styles that I would use um, and collaborate together. And we talked about technologies of various places and, and to just make sure that we were completely on the same page to the point where he, with Mrs. Coulter's wardrobe in her flat, he then wanted to echo in um, in the painting. He wanted to pick out certain colours that she was wearing in um, in bits of um, in the paintings and um, some it's of gold, her, yeah. her ornaments and things. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of gilt and gold and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deco yeah. looking. So I noticed that was in. Mm you know, the, the liquid kind of um, satin of her garments and stuff, you know, you sort of echoed mm. it there quite nicely. So that's good. Um, was there a costume, and again, this is to all of you, that um, you were particularly fond of? Or what was, did you find in the pieces that you did were the, was the most challenging? Is there one single costume that comes to mind, or were there several that you really thought, oh, really love that costume? <laughs> I really I was really pleased with um, Lee Scoresby's costume um, he's our, he's a Texan aeronaut and when Lynn Manuel Miranda was cast I think everybody would what wouldn't have been who you'd immediately have have thought of so um, and I didn't have very much time with him so I'd pulled um, I pulled things to uh, fit him in that would then be, as hopefully prototypes that then would be made very quickly. Mm. And uh, when he came in for his fitting, uh, it was just he just became Lee Scoresby, and uh, and it was brilliant because that costume was sort of locked in into it's a look that I had to then live with and not get sick of and um, yeah and hope that I've made the right decisions. So I, yeah, I was really pleased with that. It's quite a departure, wasn't it, from what, how it was done in the film? Because I seem to remember the actor that played in the film had almost like a 10-gallon hat 
and moustache and all that kind of look. And yeah, of course, yeah. you know, your, what was your decision process to, to, to move away from that, you know what I mean, in, in a certain way? Or did you think of echoing it? What was your starting point when you look at characters and you're trying to pull them away from how it had been done before? Uh, well, the starting point was him being um, an aeronaut and in a balloon. And um, then, then, so the practicalities of that and then in being Texan and and ma uh, marrying the two together. So I looked at um, flight suits, early flight suits and things, but then I changed it into a jacket and trousers and then the long coat and the long coats described, the long coat, there's a long coat described in the book. So from the book and then the practicalities and then, um, and then ultimately what would suit Lynn? Yeah. What what was going to make him Lee Scoresby? Because it's not a it shouldn't be a costume at the end of the day. We're not we are creating their wardrobes, their clothes to make believable um people. So if things look like a costume, I think then we haven't really hit the nail. Yeah. Whatever you do, it's gotta look real as well, isn't it? It's gonna be quite credible. Mm. That's the thing. Um have you got any advice for aspiring costume people? People that want to come into the industry, they want to be designers or they want to work in costume. Anything you can point them towards? I know it's, a, it's a difficult question really, to think off, off, the, off the peg. I think, I think it's good to um, work your way up and to experience all different levels of costume. So start as a, as a standby and if you need to, um, but certainly work as a supervisor or an assistant costume designer. Um, I think it helps manage productions and to manage creativity. And it, it helps your mental health really ultimately if you, if you, every job is very different and, um, and I think you need a background and a, and, a, and, a, and a kind of an experience that you can bring to the job as, of, of costume designer. I think there's a lot of different ways to become a costume designer. I started in theatre, so I came into okay. the, sort of 10 years in theatre. Um, and when I left college, I was doing set and costume and then specialised in costume. And then after 10 years in theatre, designing costume then started to move into smaller sort of low budget film or like um commercials and then and then kind of moved up that way so i've been doing tv and film now for the last 10 years and now i don't do theater but it kind of i transitioned into it so it's a slightly different way so i think there's there is different ways but i think it is something that you sort of learn to i supervise in theater so i learned how to run departments and things before taking on becoming a costume designer and i think that's important to learn sort of all the different the way a department runs as well as just designing um, yes so. I, I did i did the same sean yeah. and i did the same course and we yeah. both were costume supervisors in the theater yeah <laughs> i was going to ask you how how you started because i think people are going to be asking how how did you get into costume design and you know how did you know when did you know you wanted to do that as a career so it's nice to just have a few minutes just to see yeah where, how you got into it so you, you both started, you both did a course in the theatre doing 
supervising? Both did, no, both did the theatre design course. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. you basically then a degree and then you, but you're, you know, it's to do theatre design, but you're designing set and costume. I think yeah, it's the sure. same, isn't it? So, and yeah. then after that, I decided I set wasn't for me after doing a year out and doing both and, um, and then decided, you know, I actually much prefer designing costume, but it started supervising first and then started to then assistant design, design with another set designer and then started designing and then went into um, like short film and commercials and music videos and then, you know, low budget film and then built up. So it's very much, I think I've done, yeah. So, but there's different ways. Like Ray said, you could start as a standby and come up that way as well. Or Yeah, because I was, I was plucked into the BBC straight from college. And okay. so it took me about three years before I kind of went, actually, this isn't what I trained in. I trained in theatre and I want to do costumes in theatre. So I left television and went into the Leicester Haymarket Theatre um, yeah. and then went back into television because if I hadn't done that at that point, I would have always wondered about my theatre credentials and that's what I trained in and I just needed to get it out yeah. of my system. That's it, because I trained in theatre as well, and um, but was always fascinated by the lights, camera, you know, and, and action of, of, of filmmaking, really. So once I got into the B, that was wonderful. That was, you know, that I, I stayed and that was great. What about you, Caroline? How did you get started in this? I went to Wimbledon School of Art and I did, there's a course, Costume Design Interpretation, which is learning all about construction, and dyeing and, and all the all uh, the disciplines within mm. making costumes and I did that because I wanted to do costume from when I was about 13. I said that's what I wanted to do. didn't know anybody in the industry um, but I, I got a place and I thought I wanted to do the interpretation course because I wanted a skill I want because I didn't know anybody and I, I wanted to have, I wanted to know I could get a job because I thought if I did the design course, there's no would be no guarantee I could ha I'd have a skill I could get have a job. Um, yeah. You know, you don't know anybody in the industry, you don't really know. So I went to Wimbledon, sort of, sort of uh, in the dark. And then when uh, while I was there uh, at the time, the BBC did a thing called Vision, which was uh, they got trainees. Um, and you had uh, you had a placement and the BBC kind of looked out for you. Um, uh, productions could go to the, to Vision and say, I need a trainee. And um, then, you'd, then you'd be put forward. So I did a first placement with June Nevin, who was so brilliant and so generous yeah, at showing me the, the, the entire, what the job entailed. And then I went on to another, I, w I was with Vision still, and I was trainee with Birdie Hawks on Snatch. And then I, that was the bug then for filming. And um, I, then when, you had a, when I had a few contacts, then I was at standby on set for a while. And then I went on to assist Susanna Buxton and Barbara Kidd. So the, in, the, in the beginning, I never, I didn't have any aspiration to be a costume designer. I didn't think that that would ever happen. I just wanted to be around costumes. I wanted to be in that world. And then Susanna um, designed the first series of Downton Abbey. And 
then she decided, um, which I assisted her on, and at the end of series two, she decided that she wanted to move on and they had to find another designer. And I designed a few small, very small things. <laughs> and they took, they took a leap and which looking back, you think is extraordinary because it was such a big show. But when you were there, because I was there from the very beginning, um, I, I suppose to the production, it seemed a natural progression. Um, so that's how I, I had a baptism of fire becoming a costume designer. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah, that, but you know, you, you're still here. That's great. <laughs> that's good. Um, so we have a few questions. Um, and I mean, one of them, we may have answered it already, but if anyone wants to jump in with this, what's been the biggest challenge in your career so far, would you say? Anybody brave enough to sort of take that one on? I, I suppose I early on, when you have those breaks, when you don't, yeah. when you don't have a huge number of contacts, and you have the bricks and it's the it's either worrying you're never going to get another job or then two buses come at once and not knowing which opportunity to take and that that's that's really tough to know that and i think particularly for people at, at the moment um to know that it's a career to stick with and um yeah that that was tough in the beginning. And then now as, as designers, you know, making those choices, whether you wait for a job you really want to do or, you know, which, what choices you make um, and how, you know, what, what, if you take time off or you go straight on to the next project, those sorts of things that um, the decision-making process is quite tough, I'd say. I don't think any of us have any objectivity about our careers, do we? <laughs> That's the thing. We just, it's that, oh, it's, it's the net deciding what to do. Um, and it was interesting that I decided to do Fleabag and I did that out of friendship. Um, and it was one of the best things to do. But it, that wasn't a challenge, but it, it's, it's interesting what you decide is the right thing for you. What about you, Sean? Not sure. I've been the biggest. I think the biggest challenge that I had was the first feature I designed, <laughs> because I kind of jumped from I'd done like one little short film, and then the next thing I'd been given this chance to be in Barcelona without a team to do an action movie, which is an American TV movie. But I'd gone from like you know a couple of people on set to everybody having stunt doubles to everybody you know all of the, it was huge and it was like closing down streets and all the, and I was you know I had didn't even know them at that point I could like fight for my supervisor to take her I had a full Spanish team who I didn't never worked with before um to be in a different city I mean it was amazing and I learned probably everything I needed to know about actually how you know, designing a film because it, it it crossed everything and it was um, but yeah, so that was the biggest challenge because I'd just gone from something tiny to this huge thing and didn't have anyone around me, the support of our teams that we actually now, I know you rely on your team so much. It's like you they have to be there to give you the support to, 
to produce the work that you really want to produce. So it was kind of, yeah, no sleep and phoning lots of people I knew back in the UK to get lots of advice and, and, and everything. So, but, but that was definitely the biggest challenge because, because I was kind of, yeah, just went in there and thought, yes, I can do this. And I did it, but if I, if, if I got given that opportunity now, I'd probably be like, actually, no, I think, you know, if there's something new, yeah. Yeah. it's very different now. No, I could do it now, but I think thinking about making that decision back then, I'm like, I must have been mad. But, um, but, it, was, but it was brilliant because I learned everything, you know, well, not every, you never know everything, but I learned, you know, a lot of the things I needed to know, but in one big it's very interesting isn't it that we've all had to take that leap of faith yeah <laughs> from <laughs> and they, yeah because because that's what happened to me i was at the bbc and they said okay you're an assistant designer but now we've got a 13 part series and no designer and here you are you have to do it and i can remember sitting there going i know <laughs> i can't do this and they said you have to do it so well done and here you are i've got a question here and um so someone's asking how do you approach the research stage of the project do you have a specific starting point that's going to change for everybody uh, you know carol you had a novel i mean do you go off, rush off to the library do you rush into town and take your camera with you and take photographs of things or what do you do how do you approach the research stage of a project I know that depends on the project, if it's a period of things. For me, it starts with the script and what's in the script. So, so you just break your script down and work out what you do need to research and talk to, talk to the producers and the writers. And, and so you could, you know, your research can take many forms. It could be just looking around the shops. It could be going to costume books, to the library, to doing research online. Um, could be visiting museums and um, so it just depends what's in your scripts really. Okay, um, I've got another question it says, uh, we about, as mentioned there are some of the low-level jobs that costume designers could start in. Could you elaborate on those uh, roles a little bit? So again I think we've covered in one sense it's you know getting into teams and and maybe being um well there are always trainee positions available for anybody really so it it's kind of i think that's that's a good starting point to to become a trainee or to and to to search out how you can become a trainee there are lots of schemes in the world there are lots of productions and there are lots of agents that you can contact to find out what their designers are doing so that's a good start. Mm. Okay, thank you. I've got another one. Hello, I'm currently a design student. Is it gone? She's gone. Man. And sorry, I was just reading that and it's jumped off. Excuse me, wait a sec. And we'll graduate soon. Can you discuss how you will get into industry now, particularly with the battle between the arts and COVID? I think it's the same. I mean, it's for me, it's as well. I've got lots of trainees now sending CVs. I think, in terms of, I know there's a COVID, but there's still there's a lot of work. It seems to be extremely busy at the moment, if not busier than because everything's come off furlough. And I think it's just the same as 
even without COVID, you would send your CVs, you, you know, if you're leaving, you're graduating, look for designers you want to work with, try and get into their teams, like join skill set, see, you know, there's different ways, I think. But I think it's not really changed, I don't think, to how to get into the industry because of the COVID. That's what I think personally, I don't know. Um, how anyone else feels about that but I think it's the same like we're all working the same we've just got protocols that we have to abide by okay yeah and it's quite busy at the moment so yeah. everybody is starting to get back to work so it's actually quite hard to find um to find people and you know the, the industry is getting bigger so definitely you know keep at it yeah um, COVID hasn't changed the, the need, you know, it hasn't depleted jobs. Um, we just need to deal with the protocols. So I've got one here. When designing, do you still draw your designs or use modern tech? You do, do go, Caroline. Okay. Um, I, I normally get reference together. I'll get all the reference for certain things together. And um, then it's normally through fittings rather than drawings. So I have the reference and then we'll do the fittings um, to see what suits the, suits the actor, suits the actor's shape. And then it's normally, uh, if it's a costume to be made, it can be a, a, just a little line drawing or whatever. I, I would be the first to say my drawing isn't brilliant and it's not held me back and no. um it's more i think it's more important that it's more important that you create the character in the fitting i think than having beautiful drawings um oh. if anybody's worrying about that mm. okay. don't worry <laughs> i okay. i mean for me not not on fleabag but on other things you know, I use a mixture. So most of it is to do with my research um, and, and it takes place in fittings, but sometimes I have to create something from the future. And so I'll take my research to a sketch artist, to my friend, and we'll, I'll do stupid line drawings saying this, this and this, and he'll make them into a more, um, a more, how do I say, something more visual than I can make it in, something that will bring the producers into the look of that. And, and he'll put more action into it and more energy into it. Whereas I, if I do a drawing, it'll be silly and technical and it'll be, it'll involve showing every scene that I want. I, it'll be come from a construction point of view rather than a character as a whole so it varies it and sometimes we'll do something on the computer but i can't do that i rely on other people to do that okay i got one here um what would you say is the stress stroke fun ratio questioning <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> that's a personal thing what would you say is the fun stroke stress ratio <laughs> I think you probably need to ask our, ask our teams that for the, <laughs> the truthful answer. Yeah. We're all laughing. I love the fact we're all laughing, you know, about this. <laughs> Go 
And we're not denying the stress isn't there. <laughs> of course it is. Sure. Um, but we wouldn't all be still doing it if we didn't have fun. Yeah. Maybe that's a diplomatic answer. <laughs> that's true. If you, if, you surround, if you surround yourself with really great people, it takes yeah. a lot of the stress away. Because even yeah. if you're stressed, you know that somebody's going to... Because I'm just trying to alleviate that by helping you out and making it all happen. Yeah. Um, true. That's very true. Um, one last quick question. Um, and it's this basically. You guys are the last lot of the pre-COVID after nominations. And we've already seen a lot of change to how productions are run in the light of these restrictions. What do you, how do you think the pandemic will change the costume industry and how it functions? So again, how do you think the pandemic will change how the costume industry functions? I think we have to work with a lot of protocols and we have to be safe. But I think creatively it won't change anything because we will all still want to put the right and the best things on camera. And it just means it's a little bit harder, but it won't change things. I, I don't think so. Am I wrong in that? I think, I think it's harder. Your day is harder, but creatively and visually as designers, we will still do our absolute best work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know that when um when COVID hit and um, there were all these, you know, the lockdown was there and I thought, gosh, will any of us ever work again? And I know that theatre is still having problems getting back into what it used to be. Um, the film industry seems to have, there's a lot of thought gone into it. There's an awful lot of regulation that's come in that we have to adhere to. But, you know, we are still shooting and cameras are still turning. So we're very lucky in that, I know. Um, I suppose it's adapting, isn't it? It's adapting how we, we reach each other, how we deal with artists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are some frustrations, obviously, you, you want to go into set and just normally go and talk to people and maybe you're not allowed to do so, or you have to be in a different cohort or a different team or, so, you know, have you found that, we, well, have you found that your productions that you're working at the moment, Ray, are going to? Um. They're, they're good. I mean, I the fittings are hard because I'm not necessarily in them with an assistant anymore. So, and I'm in my PPE and they're harder and hotter and they take longer and they have to be safer. But yet you have to still retain that eye through the visor, through my specs, through the visor, through the mask. I still have to kind of go, you know, is it still there? Is this okay? Um, it's, it's more difficult, but, but, um, but still, um, I think production, productions are doing all they can to help and they're listening to us actually. So if we need anything, then we say, and if they can help, they will. Yeah. Is there anything you want to ask each other or chat to you? Yourself, so. It's very rare that we get to talk to each other, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is these days, unless you see people in the costume house, yeah. Yeah. I think it's lovely to, to have a, a chat of designers, you know. Yes, it's a I shame think... we will be meeting in person. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think the questions we would want to ask each other, we can't ask. You. Oh, we can't. <laughs> we can't ask them in this context. <laughs> so. Oh dear. Oh, that's true. Well, Sean and I will see each other quite soon. We're 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 organising new costume stores yes, together. Next to oh, each other. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. About that a little bit. What about minutes ago? So very very quickly because I'm going to round up. So you're organising costume stores. You said. Oh, me. We're moving. Yeah. So we both got our own obviously storage at store at the moment so we're moving yeah. into a new place together but with separate storage but we're right. next to each other yeah. so, we'll yeah. be next door to each other yeah so hopefully we'll we'll see each other more then if we're yeah, yeah if we're in the same place <laughs> same <laughs> ever that will be lovely yeah okay i'm gonna um come to a close i think and i'm going to thank you um thanks to our speakers caroline mccall to sean jenkins and and Ray Holman and to say congratulations again on your nominations and to our audience I say I hope you've enjoyed the discussion and um, make sure that you tune into the, the BAFTA Cumbria Awards live streamed on Sunday the 25th of October so thank you for joining us and bye-bye Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org 